In this episode, we are going to take a plunge into the world of homebrewing with Raleo as our guide, and I pick up my loot to strum the chords for creating a bard with the core rules. Welcome to the Mithras Matters podcast, season one, episode 10, Brewing Races and Singing Songs. Welcome to Mithras Matters, a podcast dedicated to the Mithras rule set and all its supplements. Now, as always, I'm your host, Inwills, and I would like to pause for a moment acknowledge to acknowledge episode 10. Yeah, we have made it to double figures. Now, if you're interested in the numbers and stats, then the podcast is currently averaging about 150 listeners per month being listened to across 26 different countries and 334 cities. I'm not sure who you are, but I can see that we have one listener in Switzerland and one in Ireland. If you are listening in, then thanks for joining us. The United States is the most popular country and Coatesville, Pennsylvania is at the top of the cities list. So hello to all the listeners in Coatesville. So, as well as reaching the 10th episode, I've also started to receive some segments from other people. No one has ventured forth to provide some content for the Have Your Say segment, but I'm guessing you're all waiting for your experience roles to come through so you can invest them in some suitable training. Right, before we put the kettle on for some home brewing, please indulge me for a little while because here are my campaign updates. Well, I must admit, this is sometimes my favourite part of the podcast. Anyway, the intrepid foursome have started a new adventure and are already chest deep in trouble. They spent their experience roles in the first session and have taken up uh, a job from somebody quite mysterious. Now, I've been keen to put the social conflict rules into play after playtesting them before the release of the Mithras Companion. So after having a chat with Mr. Pickles, we have decided to put them into play with Bartleby. Being a theist, he is always championing the weak and the downtrodden. So he has attended the church council meeting where they are deciding which worthy causes they will be supporting during the next month or so. There's a degree of corruptness within the church and Bartleby will have his work cut out and is ready for pleading his case. However, he does have Amrael on his side and a well-practiced oratory skill, so we are hoping for a positive outcome. Success might also support him in moving up the ranks of the church's hierarchy. 
we are recording the actual gameplay separately from our actual plays, so it will be available as part of the rules video on my YouTube soon. So, meanwhile, the party has taken a job from Annalyn the Alchemist. He had to flee from his grandmother's house in the forest after a huge beast attacked it, leaving all the valuable maps and his dying grandmother inside the humble abode. Now, accompanied by Annalyn's nasal apprentice, Tiffin, the party have made their way th through the forest or towards the forest after buying a wagon and an oxen, which they have named fondly the oxen that is Brutus. Hazra, the nomad, is much happier being out in the countryside once again, but their first night under the stars was somewhat disturbed by Tiffin's snoring. You can see the video of the game on YouTube, but yet again, Bartleby came to the rescue with some very clever spell use. Now, we left the party at the end of the session at Grandma's house, where everything was not as they initially thought. The party is split up again, and each group are facing their own kind of problems, from flying apples to a cane-wielding grandma. Someone has not been completely truthful to them. Now, if you want to see what happens, then you can find the full video on my YouTube channel, where you can find actual play videos, selected highlights, and my adventure reflections. Oh, and if you're interested in reading my adventure notes, then they are available on my website, inwills.co.uk. They are free, but feel free to donate something to my content creator dream fund if you can. And the first part of the much-awaited rules video about Animist is also available on YouTube, with the second one currently in production. Okay, so before we have a chat with Rael, I just wanted to remind you that this podcast would not happen without everyone's contributions. And if you would like to contribute to the podcast, then do drop me an email or message and let me know what you would like to cover. If you, you can email me at inwills at gmail.com or send me a message on the various forums I frequent. Okay, so let's get into some home brewing. I'm joined today by, well, I'll let him introduce himself. Howdy, folks. This is Raleel. And I'm here on Mithras Matters today to tell you about myself and to talk about homebrewing. I've been playing role-playing games for almost 40 years at this point. As with most folks who grew up in the Midwest during the late 70s, I started on Dungeons & Dragons, uh, but then moved on to a large number of other systems over the years. I think I've played close to 100 at this point. Uh, if you want to hear more about me, uh, you can come up and ask me on our Discord channel. Uh, and talk to talk about Mithras. Uh, we have a Mithras Discord channel where I'm one of the admins on, and we also I also have a uh, website that you can go to uh, and see all of my homebrewing stuff on there. Thank you and welcome to Mithras Matters. So first up, what is homebrewing? Homebrewing is the the effort that you put into making a world your own, to creating new things in that world that might involve changing the system in some way or adding in parts that weren't there before. Uh, it's a very creative process. 
Why would you want to do such a thing? Well, let's say you're making a new world and the things that are in Core Mithras don't really cover what you want exactly. Maybe there's a skill that isn't there. Maybe that there's a race that isn't there. Maybe there's an, even an entire magic system or set of technologies that don't exist in Core Mithras. And so you're like, well, I need to figure out a way to do this because I'd like to use Mithras as my system for that. Uh, another reason that you could do this is because the people around your table, maybe they like to play in a particular way and you want to maintain that enjoyment and yet you'd still like to use Mithras. Maybe they like most of Mithras and don't like one particular part of it. Um, this is really just about making the, making the game fun for you and your table uh, and making sure that everybody has a good time and that expectations are clear between the players and yourself and making it really come alive for you and your group. That was a great explanation. So if I want to start with home brewing, how would you suggest I start? There are a lot of different ways that you can start with home brewing. Uh, I'm going to start this discussion today with talking about uh, making custom races for your game. We could go a number of places with this. Uh, maybe, your, maybe your world has a particular race in there and maybe you really want to do world building, but uh, making a custom race is a good place to start uh, to give you a feel for where it is. It kind of walks you through a whole bunch of different considerations there. You're going to have to think about culture. You're going to have to think about land that they live in and where they're adapted to and what their civilization looks like. Uh, but even at the basic level, we can just start talking about the characteristics and attributes and how those interact with the system and what things that you need to think about. Uh, most of the things that most of the statistics you might care about, you know, your your characteristics like strength and dexterity, you may have a soft feel for. Uh, perhaps you're even pulling in something from another system that you want to use. Like maybe there's a campaign world that you like. If you like, you know, Shadowrun or Glorantha or or you like Eberron from Dungeons and Dragons, and you want to pull these things together into your Mithras and make it your own. Uh, you probably have some good idea of what the, many of those characteristics look like. Uh, and you can translate them over relatively easy. Uh, if, if they're on a 3 to 18 scale, like many systems are, then you can pretty much port them over wholesale. You might take a look at the Mithras ones and say, all right, humans have this range and these guys are a little bit better than humans, so I'm going to give them a small modification to do that. I think the one that probably gets to be the most confusing and starts to move well more off the reservation if you want to think about it like that uh, is the, is size. Uh, size is one that is very rarely defined in, in a lot of different games. Uh, a few games have it, but uh, size is not in Shadowrun, say, or it's not in Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, it's often considered to be a descriptive characteristic. Of, of your game. Uh, but in Mithras it makes a great deal of difference. Uh, so so there are large races, there are small races. Uh, in Mithras, if you take a look in your creature section, um, there's a whole bunch of different ones there. Uh, you know, your halflings are small and your elves are a little bit smaller. But then there's other ones that are quite a bit bigger and this is often the place where people start start to get a little bit leery of how this goes because they see 
a large size creature that they want to play as a, as a character and they're like well i see a lot of damage come out of that my my size impacts my my uh, damage modifier and if i get it to be over a 20 in size i get to wield bigger weapons and those also do more damage and they have more reach uh, and they're harder to parry and they view this as as, as a way to get power uh, I mean, this is something to consider when you're when you're thinking about it as a, as a GM. But there are other considerations that your players maybe are not considering if they're building this. Uh, Large-sized creatures do not always have the easiest time, and it's not just having a hard time getting through doorways. Uh, if you take a careful look at the ranged combat section, you will see that the large creatures are also much easier to hit in ranged combat. Uh, this is something that you may want to add into your game and in fact I do add it into my game when I had a I had a player who wanted to play Minotaur and I told him uh, you are going to be much easier to hit in range combat I had another one who wanted to play a troll and uh, I said alright that's fine but this is these are going to be considerations that you're going to think about uh, the other thing to note is that if you take a look at the Ikari and the Minotaur and the Panthetar, which are all larger than human-sized races in the back of the book, but all listed as playable as player characters, uh, they all have social considerations that you need to pay attention to. Um, the Minotaurs have a very hard time speaking. They're, they're actually quite limited in the way that they can speak, uh, although they can communicate in some ways. Uh, the Ikari uh, are very insular uh, from from their from the from the rest of the world. Uh, they they have they're viewed as having a psychosis, and this may this may cause bigger issues. They also have vocal problems, uh, and can are not able to communicate with humans in any regular fashion or any humanoid speech, for that matter. Um, Panthetars have a little bit less of an issue, uh, but they're viewed by humans as uh, a threat in some way. They they view them as as uh, they view them. Humans view themselves as prey for the Panthetars and feel threatened by that, and that can really cause some issues there. These uh, these soft considerations, these social considerations that come into it, uh, are often not not satisfying in some way uh, you might you might view them as not a, a hard mechanical requirement uh, and yet they these do come up and they can represent themselves in your game as passions and as prejudices and and uh, the ability to move around the in the environment uh, the in a game like Mithras uh, so, social connections and make made a quite quite a bit of difference and you can look at these look at this as an opportunity for you to make your world deeper and instead of banning them straight up you say okay then th this is what we have this is how it's going to look um, th you know you are going to have a hard time in small spaces and most of the world is is like this or you are going to face racial prejudice because of your your characters uh, your characters race and you may have a set of friends who believe in you and the party may not necessarily view you in that way but that doesn't mean the rest of the world is not going to view you in that way um, if you take a look over uh, all of the races that are there and all the books that are in out there for Mithras and Bill Harzia has an absolutely wonderful post uh, that we have on the discord and that we that we saw on rpg.net uh, that shows the vast number of books that are out there for this 
you will see that in core Mithras and classic fantasies, they don't really have a lot of racial balance in the sense that you might see in, in a Dungeons and Dragons or, or a Shadowrun. Uh, you, they are given the powers that they think that they should have. Uh, Mithras is pretty good about holding that stuff together and not really having an issue. If you really do feel like you need to have some sort of balance there, something mechanical, something that, that is concrete, uh, you really don't have to look very far because uh, Mithras can cover that too. The After the Vampire Wars and Worlds United supplements both have a point-based system. Uh, in particular, if you take a look at After the Vampire Wars, the Half-Fae have a, have a point-based system where they get extra mutations, and some of those mutations are stature, stat increases. You know, So you can add plus, plus two to your strength and plus two to your size, or you can add plus four to your dexterity for a point cost. And it gives you an idea of exactly how those uh, those races might stack up against others. Uh, the other thing about Mithras is that the characteristics have somewhat less of an impact as a whole on the character. They still certainly do matter. Uh, your your attributes and characteristics are you know your damage modifier and your luck modifier, your luck points that you get, and your you know your number of experience points you get. Um, but with with brawn, evade, willpower, and endurance. Uh, being such a heavy features in the system, you can be a low strength character and still be able to leverage your strength incredibly effectively and, and out arm wrestle many people. Or you could be a low dexterity character and still be so trained in evade that you are able to quickly avoid whatever comes and comes at you. Uh, any of these, any of these things can really help mitigate it. In truth, it takes very few experience points to raise those low ones up to where you're functionally the same as everybody else that is, that is around you, or or perhaps even better. Uh, it's a really wonderful feature about Mithras is that it allows you to do that sort of thing. So. One thing that I often often see in my I often see in my games, and if I think about if I think about when I'm making a race, I say to myself, "What if everybody picks the same thing?" Like I put out minotaurs for my current classic fantasy game, uh, and and I was absolutely certain that everybody in the party would pick minotaurs. I, I was looking at the at the racial balance there, and I was getting caught up in that notion of like, "Oh my gosh, what if these guys are too good? What if these guys are too good?" And what I realized in the end of it was that, one, I had a lot of other tools that I could work with on this. I, as, I, as I said before, you know, they're, yes, they're bigger and yes, they're stronger. It just means that they're going to be attacked more from range or that's how, that's how the world will interact with them. Um, the other thing about it is that if it's a party of minotaurs, suddenly you have a, a basis for your campaign. You have you have a cultural unity that's there. Everybody can know each other because they're all of the same race and maybe they're all from the same tribe. And, and suddenly you have a social structure that you can build upon. And that really becomes an opportunity for you as the GM to present something much more robust to your characters rather than a, ran, a wandering band of, of, of random races who are all going to murder hobo across the world. Uh, think about this for a moment. If you go to Monster Island, uh, one of the other Mithras supplements, there is a set of Lizardman savages on there. And in fact, if you could make an entire campaign based on 
a group of lizard man savages all from the same tribe. They don't have a different culture. They don't have a different species. Uh, they don't. They may not even have a different career if they are all the hunters that they have on Mr. Mythos on Monster Island. Um, but in the end of that, you you will have a very robust and rich campaign because they will have different passions and different reputations with with the tribe. Uh, one of them may get wounded in the end of it and not be able to hunt and become a shaman, and that will evolve and grow over time. So as an example for this, I'm going to bring up one of the homebrews that I've been working on for a little while. Uh, I've, been, I've been working on it for a better part of three years at this point, but I had some real life stuff get in the way. Uh, in the end of it, let's talk about my, my cyberpunk hack of, of Mithras. It is kind of a blending of Cyberpunk 2020 along with Shadowrun. My, my group really likes Shadowrun, and at least they like the world, and I do too. Uh, I'm a big fan of it, but I'm not a super big fan of the system. Uh, I, find, I find it a little bit complex for my taste. Uh, so in the end of it, let's, let's take a look at it. We have, we have a set of races that are in, in Shadowrun that I want to port over. The humans are easy. Uh, the humans, the humans are. We're just going to use standard Mithras humans to do that sort of work for us. Uh, that should be fine. For elves, uh, Shadowrun elves are a little bit different than Mithras elves. Um, so what we can do is we can just take a look at the the Shadowrun statistics and essentially multiply by three uh, for many of them because that uses a one to six scale and we use a three to eighteen and that should work just fine. Uh, you might do a little tweaking here and there to get your averages a little bit lower or higher, depending on how you want it. And ultimately, then in the end of that, well, all I did was I go, went and took a look and say, "Hey, what's the what's the uh, height height and weight profile of elves?" And in in Shadowrun, and they are a little taller and they're a little thinner. Uh, and so I said, "Well, let's give them a couple of bonus size uh, to get their height up, and then put them in that lithe category of weights that you see in there." Dwarves, I did a very similar thing. Uh, I only I added them. I added in poison resistance and infravision with them. Infravisions from classic fantasy. The elves actually get night sight, which is a which is out of the core book, and so this provides kind of a distinction between the elves and the dwarves. The el the dwarves actually can see in in total darkness just fine. Uh, and and then I decided to take a look at it and compare this to what we have in Worlds United and After the Vampire Wars, where they have a point-based system. And both of mine were constructed uh, in such a way that I could assign that point value to them exactly out of After the Va After the Vampire Wars. My uh, my elves are worth three points, uh, and my dwarves are worth two points. Uh, just because of the way that way they way they uh, where they work with the the size and the and the different stats, um, the the dwarves in this case are actually quite a bit shorter than than uh, than the elves, so they end up with with just a tiny size of of one d six plus two, but they end up on the the heavyweight side of that that table as well. And then we get to the the two two more complex examples. Orcs are a little more complex. Uh, most of their stats are. Uh, pretty much straight out of the book. I just simply did the multiply by three thing that uh, you can do between Shadowrun and, and Mithras to get that 1d6 to 3d6 range uh, with some tweaks here and there. 
Uh, and then I added in in night sight as well for them so they can also see in the dark but not in total darkness like the dwarves can. Um, now interestingly you would think that they would be pretty close to the elves and they are uh, but they actually are a little bit cheaper. Uh, one thing I did was I, I essentially invented a power for them uh, or, or a drawback I suppose where they end up having to roll twice on the social class table when they're getting their initial money and then they have to take the worst exam worst of those two uh, so this tends to make orcs poor and disadvantaged and this is an important part of the campaign world it's a way to bring that some of the social structures into the characters themselves so that they can feel that very deeply uh you know you it's not that you can't have disadvantaged elves and dwarves uh, or humans it's just that orcs tend to be a lot more so uh as on the average and then we come to trolls. Uh, trolls, I also did the same thing with the social class. I make them roll twice on the social class table, and then you have to take the worst of those two examples. Uh, I suppose I could turn it around and make the elves roll twice and they get the better of the two uh, for this particular world, but I didn't do that in this case. Uh, trolls trolls are, qu are quite a bit stronger than humans and are quite a bit bigger. In fact, I went through all, all of the versions of Shadowrun that I have, which frankly is more than I'd like to say, uh, and trolls are not consistently sized across versions of Shadowrun. So I took I picked a point that I wanted. Uh, it ends up that uh, the trolls in, in mine are have a size of 2d6 plus 20. Um, you'll note there that a very careful consideration that I spent some time thinking about is that there are no trolls that are under size 20. Uh, in fact, there are no trolls that are under size 22. They are always easier to hit in, in ranged combat. They are always going to have problems walking around in, in areas. They're, they're very big, very big creatures um, pushing upwards of three meters tall and very heavy. They, they also are on the heavy scale. Uh, they also gain some extra weight because they have four points of body armor on them. And for that body armor, all I did was was take the take the armor that is in after the vampires wars the natural armor, and they have obvious natural body armor because they have warts and tusks and and hard nodules all over their bodies, and I gave them in for vision as well so that they were able to see in total darkness. Uh, but because they're because they're socially disadvantaged, they're a little bit cheaper than you might expect. Uh, in the end of it, I'm pretty happy with how these races came out, and for my group, that having that point value, having that understanding of what the relative level of power that you're getting into is an important part of them building their characters, and that helps them have a lot more fun in the end of it. Uh, that's all I have to say for homebrewing today. Uh, I'm going to try and do this a little bit more frequently. Uh, I just happen to have some time because of the holidays. Um, and if you have anything else you want me to talk about in homebrewing, I'll be happy to do so. Uh, I have a few other topics in mind. I have some magic system hacks, uh, and in fact, I've got I've got one for uh, rigging and decking that I, that I, will help me get it sorted straightened out in my head, uh, as well as some discussions about sor sorcery and animism and how they might interact in a world that looked a little different than what we see uh, in the campaign worlds that they came from. Thank you very much. Uh, I will get back to you later. Thank you so much for that, Ryle. I really learned a lot and I'm about to put it into practice when I talk about bards 
in Mithras. Now, before I do that, can I please remind you about the Discord channel of Mithras? If you want to read more about the rules and have questions answered by experts, unlike myself, then do go over to the Discord channel run by Rael and Bill. They have a huge amount of knowledge between them and they have a thriving community over there. The link is in the show notes, so do pop over and have a chat with them. They are fantastic. Okay, so after listening to that segment on homebrewing, I got really excited and the creative juices started to flow. And I decided to do some work on an NPC or character that I've been wanting to invest time in to get into my campaign for some time now. Yes, I wanted to look at creating a bard for Mithras. Now, if you play classic fantasy version of Mithras, then you will already be familiar with the bard class. However, I wanted to make it up from scratch using the core rulebook. Now, I have to say, this is not a complete guide, and please do let me know what you think, or even better, how you have dealt with any player who has wanted to become a strum-loving hero. Maybe dealt is the wrong choice of words there. Okay, first up, cultures. Now, I'm going to rely heavily on this core rulebook here and look at the entertainer as the basic profession. So from the table on page 26, I can see that the entertainer can be chosen in the civilized or barbarian cultures. Hmm, not too sure about the barbarian, but I guess it goes back to those Norse saga loving Vikings. Anyway, the entertainer's skills um, from the core rulebook relate to physical acrobatics, acting, storytelling in the form of oratory and seduction. Mm, interesting. Definitely some opportunities there to augment their already um, invested in influence roles. But in the homebrew idea for Bard, I'm going to add some other skills. First up, commerce. Yes, I really like the Bard who are mainly merchants, who know what things they need to buy from whom and how much they will cost. I also would put courtesy in there. Um, yeah, it's very flamboyant. Lots of hat waving and posturing and bowing. And definitely some law slash history skills. I mean, who can have a storyteller without some knowledge of the great battles and people of the past? One more skill to tell you about. And this one might seem strange, but keep with me. Folk magic. Yes, yes, I want my bard to have spellcasting abilities of, uh, similar to the bards of old from the classic fantasy or the other D&D systems. Strumming or beating a steady rhythm to ri raise the morale or lull people into silence. Now, it would be up to the player who wants to play the bard to choose the appropriate folk magic spells, but... It is important that they could only cast these via their musical instrument. While I don't think it would be appropriate, for example, to cast darkness, many of the folk magic spells do lend themselves to strum-loving bards. For example, calm, demoralizing, beast call, heal, might, and even blade sharp. 
As a GM, I would probably remove the range of touch from some of these, giving them a power in meters range, but making it that the bard must have their instruments with them in order to cast it. Now, there would be no spell casting um, without the instrument, so no chance of silently approaching the enemy's camp. No, there would either be an oratory narrative accompanied by it or the soft pounding of a drum. So, what do you think? My first attempt at homebrewing. I might even create a bar to be one of my next NPCs in the campaign. If you have any other ideas, then please do let me know and put them in the Discord channel or in the forums where that I frequent. Okay, so... This is the fated section. Um, have your say. Now, if you have something to say about the podcast, something which you agree or disagree with, then why not record it and send it to me here at Mithras Matters? Now, you can record it via free audio software like Audacity and email it to me either as a WAV or MP3 file to inwills at gmail.com or you can just upload it to your Google Drive or Dropbox and share the link with me. It would be great to hear from some of you and it would mean that you didn't have to listen all the time to my voice. So hopefully next time we will have a segment called Have Your Say. Oh, and just remember when you're doing the audio file, could you make sure that you put your name and location within the um, audio file um, before you send it to me so I can make sure that it's edited in to the next month's podcast. And that's it for this month's episode of Mithras Matters. I hope you've been inspired to get creative with those home brewing rules. So until next time, have a great month of gaming and I will chat to you all again in March. Until then, I hope all your opposed worlds succeed and provide you with a well-deserved special. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Content of this podcast is covered by the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license, so please give appropriate credit if you are sharing or copying any part of this podcast. Thank you.